The episode today is a replay from Fringe Legal Edge. This is something that is broadcasted live on Fridays at 11 a.m. Chicago and 5 p.m. UK. Just in case you're not able to make those times, we wanted to present the conversation for your complete entertainment and enjoyment. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. So welcome everyone to Fringe Legal Edge. This is a experimental series of indefinite length where we come up and speak with experts and leaders every week around how to give your practice an edge. And as it's an experimental series, we are certainly experimenting away today. Uh, this is the first of probably a, hopefully a monthly uh, session that I am calling Chatter because I would love to speak to my good friend Vincent uh, about a whole bunch of random things. Uh, so the world is bigger than just legal, legal technology and other things. Uh, and the focus really uh, for this session once a month will be to talk about well, as many things as we can get through um, that are happening in the world that are of interest. Uh, some of them may be deeper topics than others, uh, but I can guarantee you it will be fun and we will have a good laugh and we will walk away learning something new. Vincent, as this is the first time, thanks for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself, who you are? And I think we've known each other, what, four years now, probably? Four years, probably close to five at this point. Yeah. Let's go with five. I, Let's round up. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So uh, my name is Vincent McKetty. Um, as you, uh, anyone watching may be able to infer or guess, um, Ab and I have a shared connection through our employment. Um, so we both currently uh, work for Latera. Um, and we've known each other through the various different acquisitions that have formed Latera over the last couple of years. So Ab and I um, both started at a small startup called XREF, working with uh, me, him, uh, uh, two founders, Travis and Steven, and a couple other folks that actually are still at Latera, Theo Lister and Greg Danes, Kemi Bojang, uh, and I'm sure I've forgotten someone. So uh, that has been kind of our, our history. I currently um, work in a sales engineering capacity, um, and I'm actually a remote employee of Latera. So though we have many people based in Chicago, I live in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. As far as the interest for this show or, you know, kind of as it relates to, to this segment, um, Ab called me and said it, in as many words, hey, I think I, I think that you know a lot of random stuff <laughs> about random things. Uh, so I was excited to hop in because I, if there's one thing I pride myself on, it's, it's the random knowledge of different current. It was a strong pitch. It was. And I'm here, which is good. Yeah. Well, and, and everyone, everyone right now is a remote employee. So uh, we share that together. Um, so yeah, the topics that we, so the way this works or the way I envisioned this working is, I give Vincent very short notice um, in preparing for these things. And then by, by email or Teams or some other, me other method, we send each other three bullet points each of interesting topics that we would like to cover. Um, we have 26 minutes remaining, so we would definitely not go through five or six topics. Uh, but 
there's probably about three or four that we'll go through. Um, so I have a list here. Uh, the first one is Epic versus Apple and Google and others. Um, the California Uber and Lyft things going on there. Uh, Microsoft Surface Duo. And probably the last one that we may get through to is Amazon and how they are potentially buying things out and leveraging some some ideas and investments. Uh, so we may or may not get through all of them. There's also a company called Lemonade. It's an insurance tech company that I appeared probably a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, uh, which I put on the list. We'll get to them if we get if we get a chance. But um, yeah, let's start with Epic and Apple. So. Full pun intended about a fortnight ago. Um, yeah, it's going to be that kind of show. Um, basically, Epic is a game developer. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, they're a big game developer and they have a hugely popular game called Fortnite, which has somewhere north of 250 million people as uh, sort of active users. Uh, so it's absolutely huge. Uh, if anyone has kids, I guarantee you, your kids probably play the game uh, is not just for kids, obviously. Um, and it's a completely free game. It was one of the first games, maybe not the first, but certainly one of the first games that brought multiple platforms together. Uh, and I do not expect anyone here to be a gamer, but essentially it just means that regardless of the system that you're using, so whether you're using a phone, a tablet, that's running iOS, Android, you're using an Xbox or a PlayStation or a, a PC, uh, you can actually all play together, um, which was novel. Actually, that didn't really happen that much. Uh, and everyone has the same sort of experience. You're all playing together. Uh, and it's become, it's become huge over the last two or three years. Um, the way they distribute is they have a completely freemium model, so you can play for free. But then you use their in-game currency called V-Bucks to purchase things like skins and weapons and all these. So basically you change the look of your character. It has zero impact on how good or not good you are, uh, but you look cool doing things. That's kind of the goal. Um, and Apple and Google Play, the two big, um, two big app stores, uh, take a cut of every purchase made on their stores, right? It's roughly about 30% on both. Um, so the CEO of Epic, has been a, a long-standing uh, detractor of this method. Um, and recently, they basically changed, they updated games on both platforms um, to allow in-app purchases, which is a big no-no on both platforms. Uh, and as, as it would have it, uh, they, they got banned, um, which created a bit of a media frenzy because it seemed that Epic had planned this whole thing out. Um, so as soon as they got banned, within hours they released a parody video on Fortnite itself on the platform which was watched by millions of people um, which was a parody of apple's iconic 1984 ad um, from when they launched the mac in the first place um, and it was basically frame by frame exactly the same except animated and cartoonish um, and then they called people out um, and now they have taken apple court so basically apple have given them a pretty hard deadline of you've got to comply or you're out and they are currently out so if you you cannot if you i believe you cannot get the game now if you don't have it already and you certainly can't update it if you own it so anyway yeah all all interesting stuff and from a legal point of view um this is becoming quite quite uh quite heated very quickly 
also just so I don't show my bias, I do have a bunch of Android dolls behind me. Um, so but Google is also part of this. They are also being sued um, for this. Um, I think Google, the public generally tends to be quite upset with Google about other things. So media generally is focusing on Apple. Certainly. Yeah. I think, so there's so many interesting things about this specific case. So to kind of go through the the play-by-play -play that, that you just talked about. So the first is that this was the, First, I, I would say it's certainly not the first, right? The cross-platform technology has been around for a long time, but it was the first widely adopted cross-platform game, right? So it was the first time where you had people playing on Microsoft products and Apple products and Google products and Sony products, right? All with each other. That in and of itself was really momentous because these gaming companies have for a long time fought against that. You typically see, especially with the console uh, kind of gaming generations, that whoever outsells the other console provider, right? So if Microsoft does really well in one generation and Sony doesn't, or Sony does one really well in one generation of console and Microsoft doesn't, the underdog there is typically arguing for, for cross-platform gaming because they don't want to limit people from purchasing their platform, right? So at the core of it, right, fundamentally this changed gaming a lot because it, it gave people, it showed that game developers can successfully do cross-platform and that these hardware companies can't necessarily rely on winning the next console generation war to cement their console sales for the next seven years, right? So that in and of itself was really significant. And then from that, you have all these other things that dovetail off of it. Fundamentally, right, this comes back to can I, the hardware vendor, control the software that's on my system, right? Because that's what Apple is arguing. Apple is, is kind of fundamentally arguing, if you have an app and it's, in, and it's on an Apple device, it's on an iOS device, you have to acquire that app through the App Store, right? So that's the first kind of argument. And then they say, okay, so if you have to acquire that app through the App Store, you have to follow the App Store guidelines. And the actual guideline that, that Epic is, is fighting is that in-app purchases need to pay that commission to Apple, right? So if you buy something in an app that's either on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, you have to pay that commission back to Apple. That uh, specific process, right, is actually really common across all these different app stores. So, so Apple, Google, nobody doesn't do this. So Epic is arguing that because Apple and Google have this kind of stranglehold on the software that's allowed to be installed on their systems, that they shouldn't be able to take these kind of actions of saying you can't do in-app purchases or you can't do this, that, and the other thing. The thing that I think is really interesting about this that I haven't seen reported on a lot is the fact that, so Epic is minority owned by Tencent, which is a, a Chinese software development company and um, the owners of WhatsApp. And this all started to happen. So this entire enforcement action by Apple and, and Epic doing all this agitation started right after there was this big hubbub about whether or not WeChat, or sorry, I said earlier that Tencent owns WhatsApp. That's not accurate. They own WeChat, which is the Chinese messaging service. So the U.S. took this kind of enforcement action and said, we might ban WeChat in the United States because we're not comfortable with the, the data and the information that might be transmitted on that platform. And the mechanism for doing that would be telling Apple, telling Google, you can't install these things on your devices, right? The way that Tencent would get around that would be by breaking that monopoly that Apple and Google have on their hardware, right? So there's a 
a very easy kind of logical line to draw and, and it hasn't really been reported on. I don't know if it's ever been corroborated or, you know, kind of confirmed that yeah. really the goal of this enforcement action is to make it so that Apple and Google don't have control over the, the software that's installed on their devices right. so that Tencent doesn't lose WeChat in the U.S., which would be a huge, huge issue for them, right? Arguably. Uh, I, I, would, I would say it's probably deeper than that because, well, so it gets complicated because Sony also has a minority ownership in, in Epic. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, there's plenty of complexity to this. But the other interesting point is if you look at the lawsuit, then Epic is not really saying they want money. They don't want any money out of this. What they ultimately want to be able to do is to be able to set up their own Play Store. And Epic, I mean, Epic, to their credit, and I take no sides on this at all, to their credit, though, they've been, they've been fighting this fight for a while. So they've been yeah. fighting this fight on the PC by setting up their own app store, the, you know, the Epic Store. Um, so, you know, they are having this battle across multiple platforms. What is interesting is, A, they're fighting some pretty big competitors, right? Apple is a very recently a $2 trillion company. It's trillion with a T. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not like there's a shortage of resources. Um, and similarly, Epic by no means is a sort of tiny little underdog either, right? Comparatively, relatively speaking to Apple, yes, but in the grand scheme of things, they are not. Um, but what, what's been interesting is looking at this from a consumer and a market point of view, um, Epic, a planned a lot of this, uh, a lot of this, and then, you know, then it got released and then unexpected things happen as they often do. And B, they're working very hard to get consumers on their side. So the way they yeah. kickstarted this in the first place, uh, as it pertains to Apple and Google is they released an update that said, if you buy directly with us, you will get, the prices will be 20% cheaper than if you leverage the stores, right? And you know, you can say why 20%, why not 30% of that's a cut? It's like currency exchange and processing fees, whatever, whatever the reason might be. Second, they've released this video of the 1984 thing within Fortnite and this seems trivial, but for anyone who doesn't know, so Fortnite held a concert, I wanna say in April um, with um, Travis Scott, and they, they've been working on a lot of these collaborations, actually. Uh, just, by frame, just by way of reference, when that concert went live in April, there were, I think, 12 and a half million people that watched it live, right? 12 and a half million people. Um, that does not happen with concerts. It doesn't happen with most things. Um, so they have, a very, they have a very active audience, and they have people who take deep interest in this. And these are the people that are going to drive um, some public perception, right? And Apple is sort of on, I think I would say on the verge of uh, managing this very carefully because they don't want to become the bad guys in media. Uh, so, it, I mean, it's, it's becoming very complex and I think they've put a, um, there, there is a, I don't know if it's a real deadline or at least a perceived deadline of the 27th or 26th of August. So that's next week. Uh, because that's when the new season of Fortnite comes out and that's when people won't be able to get the new season, all of these other things. So th this is actively in development and certainly, not that we have to relate to the legal world, I mean, this, is, this could become a massive litigation. Certainly, you know, with all the things going on with uh, Congress in the US, with Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, uh, this is one part of that, right? Should a huge hardware manufacturer also be able to control the software distribution of that when you're competing on the same side. And this is the same argument that Spotify brought back on uh, years ago in, in, in the EU. So 
anyway, it's it's an interesting interesting issue, and um, when we speak in a month's time, we'll see if it's resolved by then or if it's completely just faded into the 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 things that media happens. Certainly. So I think I think the fun part of this would be to make a wild prediction about which direction this mm. will go. Go on then. So you can start. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think this is going to go to the 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 direct the direction of the early two thousands enforcement action against Microsoft, and that uh, because of the way the the U.S. perceives kind of antitrust processes, even though the current administration that's kind of in office and hasn't been super zealous about pursuing antitrust things. And with, with all that said, I, I do really think that it's going to be hard for, based on the fact pattern in this case, right, for us to end up with a ruling that's in favor of Apple or Google. I, I just don't know um, if, there's a, if there's a world where that happens, right? Um, so that's my that, that's my guess. I, I, I'm going to guess that this time next year we're going to have 16 different app stores on your on your iPhone that you'll be able to download things from. So I'm going to go the other way. And before I do that, uh, all opinions are our own. They don't affect, affect our employers or any other brands we're yes. associated with. Uh, I'll, I'll give that general disclaimer. Um, this is just a very opinionated show. Um, I, I would say probably Apple, Google. So Apple is, uh, is the center of this. So I think Apple and Epic will work out some sort of an arrangement similar to some sort of an arrangement that um, Amazon has with Apple and being able to sort of sell movies and things like that on, on the App Store. Uh, we won't know about the terms of this agreement and this will just quietly die away. Uh, and I think Google will also follow suit uh, and just come to some sort of agreement with them. Um, That's a so very bleak outlook. That's uh, and I, I would argue an outlook that says those those with with power and access continue to have power and access, which is yeah. Um, uh, well, I think you know I, I'm I'm you know I wanted to also go against your your that's prediction fair. <laughs> <laughs> just to make it more interesting. I'll go the other extreme. So yeah, all right. So what's um, next? So next uh, next is something that you suggested, which was around sort of Uber and Lyft um, yes. and the state of California. Tell us what's going on in California. Certainly. So uh, California has, over the last really two years, uh, tried to figure out what on earth they do with gig economy workers, right? So there's this kind of underlying challenge with, with that business model, which maybe if we back up a little bit, we talk about what that means. So there have been a number of companies that have sprouted up, right? Uber is a great example, but many that exist in different, uh, different kind of fundamental verticals as well that allow you as an individual to contract with somebody else to provide a service mm -hmm. and the platform that facilitates that transaction takes a cut of that, right? But it's you paying somebody else to do a certain task. For Uber, that's driving you around, right? It's fundamentally a substitution for a taxi service. There's others that exist, right? Uh, think of things like, uh, like a Postmates or, or something where you have food delivery coming or a TaskRabbit where you're paying someone to, to hang a TV for you, right? There's all these different platforms that have kind of sprouted up. And Airbnb is also kind of in this space, although it's more kind of directly you're allowing access to an asset that you own, not your labor, right? So California has been trying to figure out, how do we classify these people? Because we now have a boatload of essentially contract workers that didn't exist five years ago, 10 years ago, right? And and what's in the best interest of these workers as a state when we think about regulating organizations and their relationships with their employees? And California has kind of fundamentally come down 
in a way that has said, you know, you can still have contract workers, but we're going to alter definitions in such a way that makes it to where contract workers are going to be much harder to have, right? People that drive Uber and people that drive Lyft are going to be considered employees of those organizations. And it poses a lot of challenges. It basically kills that business model. Now, there are ways that you could get around it, but Uber and Lyft are certainly under the impression that it kills their business model in those jurisdictions. Yeah, and, and they went as far as to say that. They said, look, if you let this go, then we will be shutting down in California immediately. So exactly. I, think, I think Lyft took a slightly harder stance on this uh, than Uber, but I think that, that was kind of the response of both of them, right? They did. And, and when, so, I mean, when I have personal conversations with people that still live in California, I grew up in California, most of my family's in California, there are negative effects to this, right? I, I know people who do like freelance article writing and, mm -hmm. and kind of freelance copyright editing and things like that. And you really can't make a living doing that anymore uh, if you work for a single organization, right? So if you do 80% of your work for some company, right, but you only work for that company maybe two, three months at a time, that relationship doesn't work anymore because of the volume of work that you're doing for that organization. So with all that said, that's the kind of current battle that's being fought. Now there is new news, I think today or last night that came out. So there was a, a, a basically a delay on, on that enforcement, right? So that so Uber and Lyft are gonna be able to continue to operate in those jurisdictions. I think what fundamentally this gets to is whether or not that business model, the kind of gig economy business model was a good idea because I'm of the opinion, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with me, that the utility of Uber and Lyft is not um, to the Uber and Lyft drivers, which is a, a pretty strong statement to say, right? I know people who drive Uber and they would disagree with me on this. But the, the fundamental utility of those platforms was that it made it easy to hail a cab. Mm -hmm. And there was a side effect of the way that they structured their business model that lowered the barrier to entry to performing specific tasks, right? It, it lowered the barrier to entry to this profession. Yep. And as, you know, a, a state, right? Or as a regulatory body, there are typically barriers set, right? There's licenses and processes that you have to go through in order to become X, Y, or Z, right? A barber or a taxi cab driver, an engineer, whatever it is. <clears throat> and that, that business model, I really don't think uh, is sustainable with that level of regulation, right? What they did is they artificially lowered the barrier to entry to that profession. And that was a side effect, not the actual core value of what their product offering was. Their, their product was a really interesting widget, but the reason that they were able to profit on it was because they lowered the barrier to entry to this profession. And then they were able to basically reap the rewards of that delta between what the old barrier to entry was in dollars and what that new barrier to entry was in dollars, right? They well, and, were able to take that cap. And I think that's been the case for both of them. Uh, and from the beginning, right, they've, they've positioned themselves and they continue to position themselves as a technology company because in principle, what they want to do is, and theoretically, the more drivers you have, the lower your cost of running that business becomes, uh, kind of like a software business or a technology business. Um, and you can scale significantly faster. That's why generally those types of companies will require a large investment because they are burning cash, like it's running out um, because they need to get to that break-even point or that, that sort of inflection point, at which point they become more profitable and then it gets on that sort of exponential curve of profitability. That's kind of the idea. 
And I mean, the regulation point is always interesting because if you were to hypothetically think about any of these things as going through the regulatory process, it could be argued that we probably wouldn't have those companies today because they'll still be going through those regulatory processes. Yeah. Right. So that, that's always when it comes to disruptive technology or disruptive anything, innovation probably is a better word for it, then that, that's one of the things that needs to be balanced, whether it's worth going through the proper channels as they are, because the difference is when those regulations were set and decided or any other channels were set, people likely hadn't thought about what the future could be like, right? Some of these things are so different to how things used to be that there's no way you can imagine that. It's the same thing going forward. You can set regulations for how you want things to be in the future with your understanding of where things may be going in two, three years time, but you have no idea how big changes will come about. So you can't set rules for them. So someone has to go, you're not really breaking the rules, but there's just no rules in place for you. So you just do what you want and what you think is right. Um, and then it sort of turns into this. And I, I mean, it, go on. These sorts of aggressive disruptors are important, right? Because they show us the inefficiencies that exist in current regulatory processes, right? I think New York is, a, is an absolutely wonderful example. Yeah. The, and, and for people that aren't aware, maybe don't live in New York, New York has this model where to be a taxi, to be a yellow cab driver, you need to have a license. And those licenses, they're called medallions, right? The thing that actually allows you to drive the cab. Yeah. And the medallions, because there was a limited supply of them, became investment vehicles to the point where a single medallion was worth like a million dollars, right? right? And you had taxi cab drivers that were investing their entire net worth into these medallions to make it so that they can continue to drive a cab, right? Yeah. And, and fundamentally, what this does allow you to do is it allows you to identify these regulatory structures that don't make any sense, right? Like that yeah. regulatory structure doesn't work. And the fact that it allowed that to happen means that it needs to be changed. Yeah, but well, I think and it's really interesting because you're basically introducing a physical object that becomes, you know, something that's a finite quantity to dictate a service. And it's no different to what happened with diamonds where, you know, there was essentially a diamond mafia. I don't want to go down this path, but um, which basically controls, right? There, there was yep. a, a consortium of diamond miners that controlled the supply of diamonds worldwide, driving up the prices. It's the same thing what happens with certain premium handbag brands and so on, where they will only have X amount of things available. Not that they're holding supply, there's only X amount. And you know, it's a very simple economics to supply and demand. I'm sorry, the, you know, the supply is short and the demand is high. So guess what? We can dictate our price, whatever we want it to be. And that was the same thing with medallions. They were hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and it's not just New York, uh, you can have the same thing. And other countries have similar sort of things going on. So yeah, it is, it is a huge, disruptor. Uh, but um, I think the appellant court of California stepped in because, I mean, Uber and Lyft both said the courts need to step in. Um, so what they've done is they bought time for themselves. Uh, I won't ask for a prediction here because it applies to just one state um, and we have three minutes left. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do want to very, very quickly cover the last thing. We won't cover yeah. all of them for sure. Um, and also just a note, next, next month, we'll make this even, we'll make this more international. Today was very US focused, but that's very true. Um, yes but we'll make it more international next time. Um, so Microsoft Surface Duo. Um, so I'm, I'm a big geek and nerd, anyone who doesn't know me. Uh, and so Microsoft teased this device probably a year ago, um, short, yeah, just under a year ago. And it's a 
foldable dual screen device. Uh, it's expensive. I think it's like 14 or 1600 US dollars. Yep. Um, it, it is not released. I think it comes out on the 16th of September and you can place an order for it. I'm not doing that at all uh, because it's stupidly expensive. But it's interesting because it's a foldable device that runs Android but has certain Windows apps um, designed to work well for it in pairs, right? Um, and it's foldable unlike sort of a Samsung device, something else. It doesn't actually have a bending screen. It just has two panels that sort of sandwich together uh, pretty much with a 360-degree hinge. It's really interesting because, you know, A, it's a phone and Microsoft is stepping into the phone game again. Windows Phone didn't go so well for them. So we'll see how it works this time with Android. Um, and it's, it's a, I think it's a cool idea if it works. And I, I would predict that if it works well, then we'll see probably in two years' time a huge flurry of these types of devices in the market. I think from a productivity point of view, it could be really good because certainly some of the concepts that we've seen is you can have uh, teams, you can have a team's call on one screen and a team's chat on the other screen or your email on the other screen. Certain apps can actually expand across so you can actually have email where you see your inbox and the open message on the other screen. So there's some cool novel invention, but this is very much just a me geeking out over it. Um, that's all I wanted to share on this. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, I'm probably not going to buy one either because this is an, an, an iOS household. Um, so I, I don't own any Android devices. Uh, but I, you know, I mean, I think it's actually kind of funny that they decided to not go down the actual bending screen path and just decided to throw a hinge on it. It's good enough because the utility actually is, I, I think, in the, the kind of fact that you can fold it up, right? Fundamentally, what people are getting at right now is we want the utility of tablet devices, but we want them in the form factor of something that fits in a pocket, right? And as we continue to go down that path, I'm interested to see what comes out of that because I want that device. Whatever the Apex device is there, whatever Apple release in seven years from now yeah. that is kind of down that path, I want that yeah. because that's going to be a really interesting thing. And I think it'll be nice to have that combination of utility between those two kind of platforms. Yeah, and I, I would say Microsoft has really stepped up their game in the last three or four years oh, yeah. uh, with the Surface lineup. Their devices are beautiful, uh, they work well, and Windows is finally you know, uh, something that people can live with quite well. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be really interesting. Um, we will keep people posted. If anyone has pre-ordered one, is planning on buying one, and you want to come on next month and talk about it, we will gladly have you. And similarly, if anyone from... Microsoft, Apple, Google, Epic, Uber, Lyft, State of California, you guys want to come on and share your opinions. I will stretch that invitation to anyone and everyone. Um, but we are just at time. So thank you, Vincent, for joining me for the first one of these. And for everyone else listening, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be taking a break from Fringe Eagle Edge next week. It's Iltacon for anyone in the legal space. Um, so there'll be a lot of other programming on the Terra TV. We'll come back on September 4th and I have a huge guest lined up. So look out for that and have a wonderful weekend. Wonderful. Thank you, Ab. Thank you for inviting me on and thank you very much to our listeners. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.